Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Cersei podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and inspires you. Before we get into that message, we want to remind you about just a couple of things. First off, if you'd like to get connected to what God is doing here at the Cersei campus, text the word Cersei to 88000 for more information about what's going on here at our local campus, and you can give online there as well. You can also get connected to life groups and so much more just by texting Cersei to 88000. Now get your Bible apps ready and prepare to hear a great word today. If you are just tuning in with us, let me catch you up to speed on what's been happening for the past month. So we've been in a series called What's Missing? And in this particular series, we've just basically been looking at Acts chapter 2 and the start of the New Testament church. And we have been reading the same text over and over and over. We'll do the same thing today as, as we end it. And we've been asking ourselves the same question, what's missing? And so we're looking at what's happened over the past 2,000 years that's really different from what they had in Acts chapter 2 to what we have right now, what we're experiencing in the postmodern church and things that maybe we should consider revisiting, praying about, fighting for, etc. So if, if you haven't been here, uh, let me tell you the things that we have talked about. So the first week we talked about the effectiveness of, of church. Is it relevant? Is it applicable? Um, what do we want God to do through the local church for the community and then to the world um, as it related to Acts chapter 2? So what can we do that would be big and bold and audacious um, as it applies to spreading God's word, spreading the message, seeing people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. Week two, we talked about a lifestyle of generosity. Now, we didn't tether that to like traditional words like tithing or giving in-house. What I meant by that and how we related that, that message was just to talk about when we leave this building... Um, how do our lives represent Christ in the terms of generosity? So what do they look like? Are we, are we being sensitive to needs in our, our community? Are we being um, good stewards of our resources uh, to take care of the gospel and the kingdom and the people of God, etc.? And so then last week we talked about a timely issue on unity and being together and forging something. And even though uh, we can come from diverse backgrounds like, like our church is, uh, we are an interdenominational church. And so uh, we have beliefs uh, that, that are very broad here uh, in terms of the people who call New Life home. And so how do you take a diversified group of people and unify them and do something great uh, together. And that's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2, a very diverse group coming together, common cause, inspired and motivated by the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to start by reading Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and then I'm going to take us into Acts 2, and we will continue uh, to read the scripture that we've been reading week after week, and then we'll talk about a very important topic. So Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you probably all know this by heart. Um, if you were raised in a Pentecostal charismatic environment, this was very important to you. Um, but this, this verse says, You will receive 
power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. And then it goes on to talk about how that wit- witnessing would unfold. Now I want to go into Acts chapter 2, verse 41. And I'm going to read uh, six verses here. This is the text that we've read every week of this series. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now we've been talking about this, um, this pattern of daily about how the church was not a weekend experience or a monthly experience or a, a Christmas service or an Easter service, but this was done daily. Okay. And then verse 42, here's the pattern that we've been looking at. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, to fellowship, which we determined was friendship, to the breaking of bread, which was not formal communion. It was just meals. And to prayer, okay? So teaching, prayer, food, and friendship. And all the believers were together. That's what we talked about last week. This word does not mean in a common place. It just means to be unified. And they had everything in common. Verse 45, they sold their property and possessions to give to anyone with need. And here's this word. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, broke bread, ate together, had glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number, say it with me. Okay, when, when I point to you, that's the, that, that's the part when you go daily. Okay, let's try it one, one more time. And the Lord added to their number daily, those who were being saved. So this was an amazing time in church. Uh, it was new. It was fresh. Uh, it was completely different than going to temple. And so this new way of living out the message of God and his son Jesus took on a brand new recipe that these guys were getting to be the active ingredients on. And because of that, because they were living this out daily, the reward was happening daily of people coming to the knowledge of Jesus and saying, I want to follow him too. And so people were being saved daily. The church was very much a, a alive and relevant and quickly becoming the hub of communities. And they started planning churches. It even started to turn cultures around. Entire cities began to be transformed. And so what I want to talk about this morning is probably, I I mean, it's somewhat controversial in church. And the reason is because it's so, it's so broad. And in a lot of ways, it's very mysterious. Um, and I, I think it'll always remain mysterious. We're never going to know fully the depth of the topic that we're going to talk about today. And that's the power of God. Power. So we've talked about efficiency and a lifestyle of generosity and unity. And today we're going to talk about power. Now, I would be a fool today if I believe that every one of us would agree on this topic. And it's because there are multiple, multiple angles to the topic of the power of God. And probably if we lined up every diverse angle on this topic and looked at it, we could actually apply scripture to it. So there's a lot of comfortability with the people in the room today 
uh, with where you stand on your thoughts of the power of God. And I'm not going to necessarily ask you to change those, um, but I am going to challenge you to revisit them, okay? So if you do not believe, let, let, me, let me back up and say, say, say this. I believe that every one of us here should have in our personal theology a resolve about the power of God. So you should have a personal theology about where you stand right now with how the power of God is active not only in His church, but in your life as an individual. And let me tell you how that kind of plays out. If you are here today and you are leaning toward and really struggling with God's activeness in your life, and you begin to ask questions like, is God real? Um, is God still alive in today's world? Has, has he kind of withdrawn himself? And, and you don't know really where you stand with that. It's a very short jump between saying God is doing something in my personal life and turning God into a philosophy. So if you give God no power, if you say there's, there's just not any more power, we don't, we don't see it, we don't experience it, I, my senses haven't detected it anywhere, then God can become philosophical to you. The bad part about that and why that's a trap is because our, in our humanity, we will run a philosophy to its end, to its conclusion. And God has no conclusion. Um, God never ends. Uh, scripture de describes it as the manifold wisdom of God, meaning many folds. And so once you have one side, you turn it. And once you get that, you turn it. And once you get, it, it never ends. And so God can't become philosophy to us where we just kind of argue and debate about a conclusion that we've come up with in individually. But the other side of the spectrum to that is this. If you believe that you're that person who is going to carry the power of God in your pocket like a quarter and be able to pull it out and wield it at your own choosing, then you're setting yourself up for significant disappointment. Because that's not true either. You're not going to be able to just pull God out of your pocket and say, take some of that. Okay? Now, we see on Christian television that's what tries to happen. I'm going to put this on you. It's coming. Get ready. I'm about to put something on you. And we look at that and we say, that's so bizarre. So what I want to do is I want to look at the miracles and acts and I want to consider their frequency and purpose today. And I'm going to be a little rep repetitious, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to say all of these things because I want to first set the stage and bring us to an equal ground here. The book of Acts is not a long book. Uh, 28 eight books, tw 28 chapters rather. And it, it records 20 specific miracles and then nine clusters of miracles. And these were very, very significant. So if you are that person, I know I am, and I believe that the Bible has ultimate authority and I believe it's true, then when I look at this and my brain gets a hold of it, it can be mysterious, confusing, challenging, stretching, all those other synonyms that go along with that. And because it's mind-blowing what was happening in this early church. So let's revisit that for just a moment. 
Acts chapter 2, these guys, first they hear the sound of, of a rushing wind. So a supernatural breeze. Then there were tongues of fire sitting on their heads as, as they prayed. Then they spoke in, in a miraculous language that they did not know. This is all in Acts 2. Acts 3, two of the apostles are on their way to the temple at the hour of prayer. And he sees this lame guy. And he says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do I give to you. And in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, and the man is healed. Okay? So, in chapter 4, a building shakes. In chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira suddenly die. Okay, different message there. I don't want to ruin the mood, but it happened. Also in chapter 5, imprisoned apostles are freed by an angel. In chapter 8, Philip is physically transported from one location to another. I want to try that sometime. Chapter 9, light and a voice appears as Saul is converted. In chapter 9, Saul was blinded by that light. He's healed from it. Chapter 9, a man is healed of paralysis. Chapter 9, a lady is resurrected from the, the dead. Chapter 12, the violent death of Herod. Chapter 13, a sorcerer is blinded. Chapter 14, a man at Lystra is healed. Chapter 16, demons cast out of a slave girl. Chapter 16, Paul is freed from prison by an earthquake. Chapter 20, a man is resurrected. Chapter 28, Paul shakes off a snake into the fire. Chapter 28, a man is healed. That's 20 specific examples. Then there are clusters of miracles. We'll go through those really quick, just nine of them. In chapter 2, it mentions many wonders and signs, plural, wonders and signs, many. Okay, the context here is there's so much to talk about that we can't even write it down. We're just going to say there was a lot. So many signs and, and or wonders and signs. Chapter 5, it says signs and wonders, plural. 23, Scripture alludes in chapter 5 that the shadow of Peter apparently healed someone. And in so doing, it gathered a crowd, and that entire crowd was healed. Verse 6, it says, Stephen did great wonders and signs. Again, plural. Chapter 8, it says, the multitudes heard and saw the miracles, plural, which Philip did. Chapter 14, the Lord granted signs and wonders, plural, to be done by their hands, plural. Chapter 19, God did some unusual things. Okay, It says that, that they prayed over handkerchiefs. Send them out. People got, got, got healed by it. And then last, in chapter 28, it says all those who had diseases also came and were healed. Okay? So the fact that there were many miracles, and I realize in, in this room there's going to be a big split. There's going to be some who say, I believe in cessation. It doesn't happen anymore. Don't believe it. There's going to be some that believe in inclusion, like still going on. Uh, all we got to do is do this, this, and this, and it, it can happen a, 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 again. That's not what I'm after this morning. I'm not to convince either side. But let me bring some balance to what I just talked about. We've just talked about 20 specific miracles and nine clusters of miracles, but 
The fact remains that the miracles that occurred in Acts did not mean that every believer received one. As a matter of fact, throughout Scripture, there are many, I I don't want to be crass here, but it comes out like like a, a missed opportunity. An example would be Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda, one person walks away healed out of a place that had many, many, many porches full of sick people. In John chapter 9, the disciples asked Jesus, why was this man born blind? Was it, uh, was it the sin of his parents or his sin? And Jesus says this, neither. He was born blind so that the glory of God could be revealed in him. So they all had a purpose. And when you look at some of the examples, you really begin to understand that miracles were not just wielded at choice. Miracles always had a purpose. And that purpose was to initiate movement. It was to to bring glory to, to God. It was to exacerbate what was already happening inside the church. Let me give you some examples. Peter and John were arrested and beaten and imprisoned in chapters 4 and 5. This is the same Peter who just a few chapters before Shadow was healing people. But he can't get out of jail? Stephen was stoned. We just read he had done many signs and wonders. God can't put a force field around him? Bounce some rocks away from him? Christians begin to be scattered through persecution. James was executed. This is the brother of Jesus. Executed. You can't protect your own family. Paul, during the Acts period, you know, I mean, of all people, right, Paul? Right of the majority of of the New, New Testament, the most famous apostle in the whole place. What happened with him? Well, He was whipped five times, beaten with rods three times, shipwrecked three times, adrift 24 hours, often went without sleep, food, water, or shelter. So it's obvious that God does not perform miracles just to make life easy or pleasant. And if you're in that theology this morning, I want to help you. Because some of you are disappointed in your life Because you feel like God has not personally got his hands in there and engaged you. Like, I'm going to show you something miraculous as a sign and a wonder that I'm alive and here and for you. And so we go, I don't don't even know that I'm really into church or worship or serving or giving or planting churches or helping missionaries. I, I don't... I don't know where I fit in this story of Jesus because I haven't really seen the right things, experienced the right things. So let me, let me bring this back to Jesus' teaching. He never looked at us in any way and said, because you follow me, life is going to be grand. He said some very important things like, you can do greater things than I've done. But in the same breath, he said, listen, make no mistake about it. They're going to hate you because of me. They're going to persecute you because you follow me. And ultimately, I mean, obviously, he was speaking prophetically. 
These guys ended up giving their lives for him in terrible ways. Crucified upside down, stripping them of their flesh, boiling them in oil, sawing them in two, and on and on. That doesn't sound like, like a promise of if you just follow me, things are going to be, be great. So if you're in that theology this morning where you're just kind of struggling and going, you know, unless God shows me something, I don't know if I'm really still in. So let me try and, and just help. The primary purpose in performing miracle and seeing power was to authenticate ministry. Like it validated Jesus as the Son of God, it validated apostles, it validates His church. Anytime we see something done that is supernatural, it validates what God is trying to do with His overall plan. If you look at Scripture from 40,000 feet, then you can see miracles used to authenticate ministry in several different time frames. Okay, at the beginning of the Exodus, we see crazy stuff, uh, plagues. We see the Red Sea parted. Uh, we see food falling from the sky. Uh, we see that their clothes and shoes lasted. Um, we, we see a pillar of fire uh, at night and a cloud by day. And we see water come from a, a, a rock. We see all kinds of things where God was trying to say, you're mine. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to protect you. Let's get this thing started. Let's get you out of captivity. Let's get you toward Canaan, etc., etc. At the beginning of the prophetic era, there was another big wave of the m- miraculous, specifically through Elijah and Elisha. Rain stopped, fire came from heaven, an axe head floated, uh, a chariot of fire came down and, and took Elijah up. They parted the Jordan, e- e- Elisha did with the mantle, and he, and he hit the water and it parted. Then at the beginning of Israel's exile, there was another one, and it was an, an, another wave to rebuke the leadership that had taken them on. Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind like an animal. A fourth man appeared in the fiery furnace. Daniel was rescued from lions. These miracles reminded, again, God's people that he protected them. But again, it, it was, it was on, on a global scale, a national scale. Um, this was part of the love story of God to his people. Now, the writer of Hebrews gives us three words that are very significant in this. Signs, wonders, and, and, and miracles. Signs means simian, which means I can see it. I see the supernatural with my own eyes, and when I look at it, it changes my life. Like I'm just struck by it. Then there's wonders, and wonders means terrace. And terrace means awe and amazement. Like, I can't believe what I just saw. And we look around and go, did you, am I dreaming? I mean, did you just see what I just saw? Wonder and amazement. Typically following terrace or, or wonders, large groups of people would gather and then people make a decision to follow Jesus based off of a wonder. Then there's miracles. Now this word miracle, I, I grew up hearing a lot about because the word here is dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. That there was something so explosive and crazy happening We don't even know how to put words to it. This was often done to reveal power over the physical world, okay? A resurrection of a body, blind eyes opening, a leg growing, a storm ceasing, 
something that was dunamis, power. Now, whether you believe this or not is up, up to you, but I believe as I've studied church history that we still see these periods of time. This is why in, in Acts, when Peter stood up, he said, this is that which was prophesied by, by the, the prophet. We're seeing exactly what he talked about a thousand years ago. And during our own church history, most, and I told you this six months ago in a sermon, most of the denominations that you can name in the Western world, all the ones that you probably came from and I came from, started in the fire of a movement of something that just can't be explained. People radically coming to Christ. So when we look at this power, I, I want to, I don't, I, that was all my in, introduction. But they, I tell you, I got to get better at this. <laughs> I want to talk about three kinds of power this morning quickly that I believe you and I see every day that we just take for granted. First one is this, transformational power. Every person in this room, I just, want, I just want you to look at me for just a second. You are here today because of transformational power. And I'm not going to pull any punches for just a, a second here, so don't, don't be offended because I've warned you. I gave you a disclaimer. That means you can't be offended. Before you came to know Jesus, you were a real jerk. Like you had trouble loving people, they had trouble loving you. You thought all the wrong things, did all the wrong things. But when Christ came into your life, something happened you can't explain. You loved your spouse better. You served your children. You may have prayed for the first time. Your mind started thinking differently and you saw the world differently. You saw your money differently. You looked around and, and, and you saw people of different color differently. Suddenly all the biases and the things that you had grown up with began to be transformed, not because of something you did, but because of what Christ was doing in you. And I want to ask you this morning, there may be some of you and you look at your life right now and you go, man, I cannot change this thing in me. So like you've read all the right books and you've got all the right podcasts and you've gone to all the great conferences and you've done everything that you can to try and change this thing in you. Let me tell you why it's not working. Because you're trying to do it alone without the power transformational power of God. Growing up, we used to have in our churches, we used to do testimony service. Anybody grow up in a church that did testimony service? You don't have to be ashamed. Raise your hand. Okay, yeah. And you would tell the story. You'd listen. People would be talking. This is what happened in my life. And it was great until people got crazy. Come on, don't act like you've never been nervous during a testimony service. Sister so-and-so gets up and you like, I got to go to the bathroom. I can't even... I can't even watch this. <laughs> I've seen pastors get so nervous they started holding the microphone 
And when they were done with you, you were done. Okay, that's it. Give sister so-and-so a hand. You were done. But we could hear people telling their story of transformation. The Bible says they actually overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. What God had done for them. Individually. And so I think it's amazing the transformational power that's just represented in our room today. I like to think sometimes, where would I be right now in my life had someone not loved me enough to disciple me? What kind of man would I be? How would I treat my family? What role would I be playing in a community somewhere? If somebody had not loved me enough to tell me the story of Jesus and show me the path to follow. It's that transformational power of going, there's something that's alive in you and I that let us look back over our lives. And it's more than biology. It's more than maturity. It's more than just getting life experience under our belt. It's the transformational work of Jesus in our lives. Second, resurrection power. When we normally talk about this, we think about things like Lazarus. We think, we think about Eutychus. We think about Dorcas. We think about uh, all, the, all these people who receive like actual physical resurrecting power. But I want to ask you this. Every one of us in this room, we've all grieved Something or someone. We've, some of you have lost a parent. Some of you have lost a spouse, a sibling, a child, a grandparent, a close friend, somebody that we have those terrible, awful days where we gather with people and we honor and we stand around. A shell of the person we loved and we grieve it. And we get these deep question marks in our heart. Like, why? Why now? Why did this happen? Maybe you go through a little period where you struggle a lot with your faith. But the biggest thing is you just grieve it. You grieve the loss of them. You grieve the, the loss of their touch and the sound of their voice and how their laughter lights up a room. And, and, and what that means for you. And you grieve it. But let me ask something a little bit as a side note there. How, how many of you have ever grieved a dream? Like you've grieved a passion in your life, a version of you that never happened. Oftentimes, you know, as a pastor, I've just met with a ton of people and I will hear stories of people say, man, when I graduated college, you know, I had all these things, all these dreams I want to do, and these plans, and and, and I even had like a, a nest egg, like an investment uh, to be made on like buying my first business or opening a practice or going to med school or whatever, and, and, and they always label it like this is what the dream was. And then life happened, and somebody passed, or the money had to go to something different, or I didn't get accepted, or this or that. And now, slowly over through the rest of their 20s, or their 30s, or their 40s, they look at themselves and go, this is not the life that I wanted. 
And I'm, I'm going to ask you to revisit those parts of your life because God has a way of letting us get out of our own way and out of our own mind so that he can turn something around and bring something to life that you thought was dead, that you thought was over. Like you thought the door was closed, but that thing's about to open up. So many Adults, dead to their dreams, live each day in a coffin of their own flesh. Dead, dead to their purpose, held six feet under the surface by their own disappointments in life. And they come to church and they say the right things and we do the right things. But I'm going to tell you that there's resurrection power available for the things. God, God loves you more than any miracle that we can point to. You may say, now, Kevin, be careful. Listen, I want you to hear this because I believe this with all of my heart. I believe you are far more important. You as an individual are far more important to God than seeing fire fall from heaven and lick up water around an altar. You are. You are far more important to God than food falling from the sky. You are the greatest miracle. Dunamis has been in you since the beginning. God breathed into your, life, into, into your body the breath of life, Theonoustos, and you became a living soul. Dunamis power. The thumbprint, the DNA of God is on your soul. Third, let me end with this. Supernatural power. So we, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't pull any punches here. I was, I was raised in the Pentecostal church. And I, I love that. I got some of the best church stories ever. My love for worship comes from that environment. My love for the spirit. The best musicians in the world come out of the Pentecostal church. I always tell people because they had six hours of practice every Sunday night. I've prayed a lot in my life for dunamis power. I'm not going to lie. I've, I've wanted to, to be a vessel of God to pray over people see physical signs. I've wanted that. I've never seen it, but I'll continue to pray for it. I've had my share of disappointment. I prayed against my mother's cancer. She died from it. I prayed against my sister's cancer. She died from it. I prayed against our first child's heart defect. She died from it. I've never seen dunamis power with these hands. But I think maybe, maybe we see dunamis power every day and, and, and we don't know it because we've labeled it or mislabeled it, should I say. So let, let me give you an example. Like, 
Like when you see a home restored, and two people who hated each other, maybe on the way out, but something happens. Maybe something that they can't even explain, but they stay. Their home is restored. Maybe something really ugly happened in there, something worthy of divorce. But just healing, unexplainable healing came. That's supernatural. When we see grown men stand or kneel and let hot tears drip off their beard and they come to Christ and they're baptized before their friends and family, that's that's supernatural power. When we see someone stand up and we hear them say, I have not had a drink in a year. It's power. When we see someone who's been praying for a child become pregnant. When we see a single mom say, I found a godly husband. When someone holds their baby or grandbaby for the first time and they don't have any words. Dunamis. When we're standing with people we love and maybe we're holding their hand or stroking their hair or we kiss their face as they enter into eternity peacefully, there's power in that. When we see a friendship formed, I mean, we, these are all these are all examples of everyday. Miracles, they can't be called common because it, 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 the, 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 the giftedness is so beyond you and I. You can't explain why you hold a child and can't talk. It's because it's supernatural, it's spiritual. So I believe that we don't, we don't really need a new idea or we don't need a new theology. We need to experience the things we're already experiencing, the things we already know, we just need our, our eyes to be open that every day as we see each other and live life with each other and forgive somebody and hold children and hold the hands of a parent who's still with us, there's dunamis power in that. I believe this is why God said when just two or three of you get together, my name, I, I'm, I'm there. Why? Because there's theonoustos in us. There's... There's commonality. Way out of time, so let me end with this thought. I really struggled with how to end this. I, I, I didn't know. I didn't know how to apply it. I just didn't. And so last night at cereal time, between 2 and 3 a.m., it's when the Lord talks. Him and Tony the Tiger. I stood against the counter and I said, Lord, I don't know if you know it, but tomorrow's Sunday. And I really need to get something here on this, some finality. I just had one word come to me and it was the word ask. Ask. And the imagery and the thoughts that just begin to come to my mind in the kitchen were just that I bet there's a lot of us in this room today. We've just, just given up power of God the specialness of 
children and someone entering eternity and friendships and marriages, all that is, has faded under a sick culture. But when's the last time you've asked for transformational change? For resurrectional power? For supernatural power to be revealed to you? And I'm not talking about legs growing. I'm talking about seeing the way God tiptoes around your life every day and we don't even know it. And I'm bad about it because I'm busy and you're busy. And we get to the end of the day and we don't realize all the beauty and all the power and demonstration of the God who flung stars off his fingertips and we just missed it. So ask is the word. Ask.